praise the Lord. Good morning. Uh, I, I want to first begin by thanking you for your commitment to the church. Um, we thank God for <clears throat> seeing us through uh, what we, we have come through. And um, I'm really glad um, for how each one of us is committed to the work of God. And um, I trust that the Lord will, will bless you and grant that um, uh, you will see the reward for all that you have done. Uh, above all, I, I wish you peace and the grace of God in your life. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, it's, it's a very, very uh, great privilege. We are always um, talking about the fellowship that we've had, that we enjoyed here, I and Kelechi. Yeah, it's, it's been a blessing to us. Uh, we, 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 we are grateful to, to the blood of Christ that is able to, the Bible says, break down the wall of divide and grant that people who come from very different places can have uh, something that brings them together. It's, it's a very great uh, privilege. We, we are really happy. Kilechi talks about it every day. <laughs> she compares everything she encounters with what she experienced here. <laughs> She would tell me, no, it was not like that day. I say, yes. I mean. <laughs> yes. She say, well, but we used to have this woman fellowship over there. That's how, that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. I say, yes. So it's, it's really, it's something that you have here. And we, we thank God for that. Uh, today I will be talking about our path into the promise. You could call it our journey to the promise. And um, I was at the Sunday school earlier, and then I was listening to all the songs. And for me, everything is tying up. Uh, I, I believe that beginning from the Sunday school this morning, God began to, to minister to our hearts. Uh, and this is more like just tying it up, all that God began to say, that there is a promise. There is a promise, and there is a path to that promise. There is a journey to take to enter that promise. Um, I'm not going to be talking about the one who made the promise. The one who made the promise is someone you cannot doubt. Right? Is someone you can doubt. A man can fail. A man can promise you and disappoint, even if he doesn't intend to. Right? I had a friend who was promised by an uncle or something that um, he would sponsor his education. So this guy got admission into tech. Well, he told the story. I don't know how true the story is, but he told the story. And um, he got admission into tech. And the week he was to resume, this uncle died. All right. So sometimes even if man uh, doesn't plan to fail in his promise, there are circumstances that are greater than him that makes it impossible for him to keep his promise. But we are talking about one who has made a promise and nothing can overrule him. So it is not the certainty of the promise that is the issue. 
the issues, our journey into that promise. Let us pray. Our Father, we are grateful for this morning. We thank you for the privilege, uh, for the blood that has brought us to you. The Bible says, although you are great, you do not despise a man. We thank you because you have not despised us, because you, you contend with us, you reason with us. We ask, Lord, that as we sit together, that, Lord, you will, you will give light and enlightenment. Our Father, that our hearts will be stirred and um, we will receive grace to, to do your word. Uh, grant us words to speak, uh, Lord, that we will not minister with the wisdom of, of man. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is like the flower of the grass, but the word of God abides forever. We ask, Lord, that the word of God will, will come to us and cause that our lives will, will be transformed. We thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'll do some reading this morning, so hopefully you can follow. Actually, I wish I could ask some of us to read, but um, I think that would be a little bit uh, tedious. So I will just do all the reading from here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. <clears throat> it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, I'll begin reading from verse 12. Take heed, brethren lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end while it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts as in the provocation for some when they had heard did provoke how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses but with whom was he grieved 40 years was he not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they will not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us, chapter 4, verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest 
a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So here we see that there is a promise. Okay? There is a promise of rest. In the beginning, the Bible tells us that after that the Lord, after that God had created, on the seventh day he rested. And it was his intention that we would come into that rest. As a matter of fact, it was into that rest that he created man. And man was supposed to enjoy perpetual rest with God. Right? That was the plan. Whatever it is that God intended from there, it does not include what we are experiencing now. And I hope we know how we got here. Yeah. So whatever it is that God planned at the beginning, after the seventh day, after he created man, whatever it is that was his vision for eternity, it didn't include necessarily what we are experiencing now. And so the Bible says, the yet remained that rest and a promise for us to enter. But there is a caution that it is possible to come short of that promise. Did you see that now? That it is possible that even though this promise still remains, and even though we are aware of it, even though we've been called into it, that we could still fall short of the promise. And in fact, we are given an example of those who left Egypt, the children of Israel, and that they had a promise of entering into rest, the promised land, Canaan. And yet we know that only two men made it into the promise. And it was not because when God went to Egypt to deliver them, he planned to slaughter them in the wilderness. That was not his plan. It was not because God suddenly got tired of the journey and became so weak or ran out of resources and could no longer sustain them. And then he thought that, well, rather than just bear with them as my resources, is, my resources are depleting, let me just slaughter all of them and leave just two of them that I can continue to maintain into the promise. That was not the reason. The reason was that there was a promise, but that these men fell short of it. And we knew the story of how they fell short of it. And I'm not going to be tracing that story this morning. We knew all the events that happened, beginning from the Red Sea, when they began to complain, beginning from how they saw great things in Egypt. The Bible says some of the things they saw had never happened and perhaps will never happen. All right? They saw seas, parts. They saw waters come out of a rock. They saw bitter water turned into sweet water. They saw God providing a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that kept them warm in the very extreme weathers of the wilderness. They saw how that for 40 years they trekked, but their foot didn't swell. They saw how that they had no store. They didn't go to Walmart, but they didn't have no change of clothes. They saw all of that. And yet, the Bible says, they came short of that promise. And it became a permanent warning for us that we also stand the risk of coming short of the promise that God has made to us. And so I wanted to trace the, the journey 
of a lady in the Bible, of a, of a sister in the Bible, to see the path that we must take to enter into the promise of God. And I think it's particularly important in the days that we live in. Some of the things that I used to read before that seemed incredible, they no longer seem that way to me anymore. It didn't take long for the whole world to change. Did you realize that? It didn't take long. It was just a matter of weeks. The entire world changed. So when you read the Bible and you see very grand events that seem impossible, at least if COVID had taught us nothing, it has shown us that it is very possible. That the things that the Bible says can suddenly happen, indeed, they can suddenly happen. All right? And so at times like this, it is a time that we need to exercise even more caution. First of all, for us to see our path into the promise, I want us to look at where we are coming from. Right? You know, if you want to go on a journey, the first thing you need to realize is where you are. Where you are is necessary for where you are going. And so if you don't know where you are, actually you don't have a, you don't have a bearing. You can't take any direction. So let's, let's look at where we were in Ephesians chapter 2. Like I said, I'll be doing some reading, but uh, all of this is, is not the target. We'll still go to the story I want to tell. Ephesians chapter 2. I will read from verse 1. The Bible says, And you had he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 11 says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, this was our location, right? This was our location. The Bible says we had no hope. You know, the song that was just sung, we're talking about the effect of the blood of Jesus, right? The effect of the blood of Jesus, what the blood of Jesus has done for us, what the blood of Jesus has guaranteed for us. If you remember in the Psalms, David says, Blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. He said, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, to whom the Lord does not impute unrighteousness. I do not see how a man who hasn't come to Christ has hope. I do not see how a conscience which has not been purged by the blood of Jesus is not burdened. And it does not matter what people do to take care of that burden, that nagging burden in their hearts, in their consciences. 
It doesn't matter whether they fill it with entertainment. It doesn't matter whether they fill it with anything whatsoever. The only thing that resolves that burden, the Bible says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's the only thing. I have seen people do all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Especially in this kind of our culture that we live in. People go to any length to resolve that nagging burden, that burden in their hearts, that lack of rest. I've seen people pierce all sorts of things. People pierce their tongues and they are unable to talk. Right? I wonder why you will go and put metal in your tongue and you are struggling to talk. For a part of your body that was meant to allow you to talk. Right? People do all of that. And in all that you see them do, you will know that they are seeking rest. They are looking for relief. These days, everybody is on social media seeking approval, isn't it? Seeking for people to like them. <laughs> huh? People are putting all their lives. If somebody coughs, he will say, I just coughed. <laughs> See, so what's the matter with you coughing? Everybody coughs. <laughs> Isn't it? Everybody coughs. Oh, I just landed from the plane. And one, people, one million people like, 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 like. And they are happy. Right? Everybody is there seeking for approval. People live their lives on social media. But they don't know the only thing that brings rest is that Jesus said what? Come to me. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And like I said, a conscience that has not encountered the blood of Jesus can never have rest. It is only the blood, it is only the knowledge that God has not imputed unrighteousness to you that gives you rest. But if you look at that scripture again, there are two levels of rest promised. There is the initial rest. He says, come to me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Right? And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we are talking about a primary rest that sets you free from sin. Do you know that the problem of man is not that he is poor. Do you know that the problem that man has is not even that he is sick? The problem of man is not lack of acknowledgement by other men. The problem of man is sin. The burden that man's bear is not all that the world wants to make you believe that is the issue. In fact, the problem of man is not the politics of the nation. It's not who is in power. The problem of man is the problem of sin. The burden that we carry, what has made us what we are, is sin. What has incapacitated us is sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and they have done what? They have come short of the glory of God. 
Now, the way I can illustrate that is that there is a glory that you are supposed to attain to. All right? It's more like a child growing onto glory. But there's something that keeps cutting you from under your feet. So no matter how you strive, you never attain to it. That glory of God. But it's hanging there, but you'll never get there. Because sin is like a sword that cuts you from your feet. It will never allow you to reach there. And so Jesus said, the first thing that you need is rest from that. That's the first thing that you need. And after, gotten, after you've gotten rest from that, then you need rest for your soul. You need rest for your soul. You need to come to a place where you are not agitated. I hear that uh, about 30 million people or so, I'm not exactly sure, in the U.S. are depressed. That's the statistics. Most people suffer from depression. A majority of them are Christians. Huh? Majority of those who are suffering depression are Christians. And there are all sorts of analyses and all of those things to resolve it. Huh? All sorts of activities are being proposed to resolve it. But let me tell you, Jesus said, if you take my yoke and then of me, you will have rest for your soul. That's a guaranteed promise. Again, I say, the man who promised it, we can't doubt him. Hmm? And all the movement, especially of the youth, the young people, all the things they are seeking is never going to give you rest. The only thing that gives this assured rest is the promise that Jesus has made. So I've told you that there is a promise. Now, there is the ultimate promise, the one we saw in Hebrews. The Bible says there remains a day of rest. A Sabbath that God has ordained that we will enter. So you see, I've told you that there are three levels of rest. There's the rest from sin. There's the rest for your soul. Then there's the rest of the Sabbath that is perpetual, that is eternal. He says that God will wipe away every tears. There will be no more crying. There will be no sorrow. That rest is there. And all of these promises are guaranteed. The word of God is yea and amen. And so we want to check what is our own journey into this rest. What is the path that we have to take? And we looked in Ephesians and saw that we need to first of all locate ourselves where we are. Where we are. All I have said today is come on. You see, sometimes when you talk about it, people think it's because you have become a super... There's no superhuman, like we're learning in the Bible study this morning. And I've heard that before. There is no sin somebody committed that somebody else is not capable of committing. There's no sin. We were trying to trace the story of Judas. We said, maybe Judas was a good man. Maybe he was. Maybe he didn't begin at the onset to be a traitor. I don't think Judas decided the morning they were calling them and I didn't think Judas said, oh, wonderful. Now I have my opportunity to be a traitor. Do you think that was what Judas said? When Jesus came down from that mountain and he was ordaining the twelve to be with him, Judas was just excited because now he's going to be close enough to betray Jesus. Was that what he was thinking? I don't think he was thinking that way. I thought probably he also saw that Jesus is the Messiah at the beginning. Maybe 
Maybe he saw that. But he had these issues. He had this, 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 uh, this, uh, this uh, stealing, uh, this, this character that makes him want to steal. Which, in fact, the person he came to is the person that would have given him, given him rest from that. Did you realize that? That that is the man. Actually, he made the right decision in going to Christ. If you remember how John the Baptist introduced Andrew to Jesus, on that day when Jesus was passing, John the Baptist said to them, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Now what does that tell me? That tells me that when Andrew decided to follow John the Baptist, he was looking for relief from sin. All right? And in my mind, I used to imagine Andrew going to John the Baptist every day and say, well, you have baptized us in this water. <laughs> every day we keep coming to you, you tell us all these big, big stories, but I'm still struggling with this thing. And John the Baptist was telling him that, no, there is somebody coming after me that will help. All I can do is baptize you with water. Isn't it? And on that day when he saw Jesus passing, he said, yeah, come, finally, this is the man to go to. If you are looking for rest, this issue I and you have been discussing, this thing you've been struggling with all your life, this is where to go. And that is why when Andrew left him, he wasn't offended that Andrew left his church. Because all the while, that was the connection he was seeking to make. And so the Bible says he pointed Christ to them and they said bye-bye to him and he was happy. Because this is the man that can give you rest. And so we see Judas also in the company of the man that would give rest, but he never entered that rest. He never entered. Until ultimately, the thing he struggled with led to his destruction. You see, Satan doesn't come at the beginning. But there is nothing a man is doing as a way of toying with sin that does not provide opportunity with Satan. You know, when I hear a story of, I was listening to a story of a man who was raping his own daughter since she was nine. Do you think this man woke up one day and when the wife gave back to his daughter, he saw her and said, wonderful, now I have somebody to rape. Do you think that was what he thought? No. He didn't set out to rape his daughter. There were things in his life he didn't deal with that led him to that point. If you had told Cain the day before he killed his brother Abel that you are going to kill your brother, what do you think Cain would have thought of you? First of all, he doesn't know what it means to kill anybody because nobody has killed anybody before. All right? Secondly, this is the only friend he has. There were only two of them. <laughs> yeah, you see? There were only two of them. This is the only person he grew up with. You think he didn't love him? He did. But God kept warning him. He said, Cain, Sin light at your door. If you don't do something about it, it will own you, it will destroy you. And that was what happened. Eventually, it destroyed him. So, what part do we need to take? The story of Ruth is what I want. I just want to capture some part of our story. If you begin from Ruth chapter 1, So the Bible tells us that there is a man called Elimelech who for reasons of famine in Judah took his wife Naomi and their two sons and went to Moab. 
And if you know the story of Moab, Moab is the son of Lot by his daughter, isn't it? That's Moab. Moab is a people that God has cursed. In fact, God says that until the 14th generation, that no Moabite should come near the temple. So they were that cursed by God. The children of Israel were told to have nothing at all to do with the Moabites. But this man, Elimelech, because of famine, because of pressure, because of peer pressure in school, because you are not liked on social media, and you need to be liked, right? Because we are in a generation where if you don't do what is in vogue, for those of us who are young, you are, you know, you are seen, you are, people mock you. Because of such pressure, the Bible says he took his wife and his sons, and he went to sojourn. And you know the word sojourn means he went to stay there temporarily. All right? But when he got there, if you read from verse, if you read verse 2, the Bible says he settled. That is the problem with sin. Most people who went into sin and settled didn't think they were going to settle there. They thought it was going to be a sojourn. And that was what this man thought. He thought that I would just go in and come out. I will just go in as, as soon as the famine is over, I will come out of Moab. Bible says, but when he got there, please, uh, everything that the devil introduces to us, he doesn't introduce it for us, to us to try. He introduces it to us to entrap us. That's his plan. Right? If Satan is bringing something our way, he's not bringing it as a way of, okay, try it and see if you don't like it, then you go. No, 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 no. Whatever he does is meant to permanently trap you in that condition. And that is what we see concerning Elimelech. He went to sojourn, but he settled. And the Bible says that even after he died, his sons took wives. The first married Oprah, the second married Ruth. And they continued there until they also died. And now, after they had died, Naomi, Naomi said, look, I can't continue to live here. So she took her daughter's-in-law, and the Bible says she, she set out on the way to Judah. And in verse 16, or when you come to verse, oh no, let me take the reading from... Verse 7, let me read verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went out on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. In verse 16, And Ruth said, I entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, 
and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death pass thee and me. Now, you see the path that Ruth took. And that is what I want to talk about. The path that Ruth took. That is our path. Now, you see that Ruth is coming from an impossible background. Just like we are also coming when we saw Ephesians. Alright? And she took a path that led her into the promise. And the first thing you see is the commitment she made. And somebody was making the contribution earlier in the Bible study. He was talking about what is the value of your faith. Is your faith worth 30 pieces of silver? Did you see that Ruth told Naomi that the only thing that can separate me and you is death? That's the only thing. And in fact, after she spoke, Naomi didn't see any need to, to convince her otherwise. That's the only thing. Do you know that the day we came to Christ, we actually chose death? Do you know that? You know, it may not be apparent to Christians that are here, but where I came from, it was obvious. In fact, <laughs> the following day after we got born again, the message they preached to us was that if a Muslim put a knife to your neck and say, will you deny Christ, will you deny him? That was what they preached to us. I got born again today, tomorrow they were telling me about dying. And I can see how that somebody in this culture may not realize that choosing Christ is a commitment to death. And I can see how it may not be convenient, but it's the truth. It's the truth. That what is going to guarantee your entry into the promise is a commitment unto death. That was what guaranteed Jesus' own entry into the promise. The Bible says that he loved not his life, isn't it? For the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross. You also, in Hebrews, the Bible says, we also should go with him outside the city, bearing our cross. I know people like to celebrate the promise of good things. Talk about the wonderful things God is going to give to you. Those are true. God will give them to you. But also, the Bible says, it has been decreed for us not only to, to enjoy all of these things, but also to suffer with Christ. Jesus has said that it is only those who suffer with him that we reign with him. Do you know why, in my mind, I think that uh, Jonathan didn't reign with David? Do you know why? You know, they had a covenant between them, right? Jonathan and David. The Bible says that the love was more than the love between a man and a woman. Their souls were tied together. But while David was in the caves, jumping from one cave to the other, where was Jonathan? In the palace. Hmm? The reason Jonathan could not reign with David was because he didn't suffer with him. That's the reason. It's not because there was no promise. It's not because there was no covenant between them. There was. 
There is a covenant between you and Christ. There is a promise of God on your head. But if for any reason you will refuse or you will deny him, and you see, it is important to preach this message now. You know, I, I was thinking that with all that is happening, maybe when one appears before the people of God, you should encourage them and tell them, oh, don't worry, everything will be over. You will soon start enjoying. I don't think so. I don't think so. The quest to unite the world will necessitate a fire that will consume dissenters. If Nebuchadnezzar is ever going to succeed in bringing about the unity that he seeks, then there must be a fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are no two ways about it. And the sooner you know that, that all the unity they are shouting about, all the thing about global warming that is bringing them together, is going to take you into a fire and prepare your heart for it, the better. That is the only encouragement I can give to you. And I'm sorry if you don't feel happy about it. Huh? If you are not happy about it, I'm sorry. But I will still say it anyway. Because it's the truth. The only set of people who will not bow to this golden statue are actually supposed to be the Christians, isn't it? And the only cause to deal with that disobedience is the fire. That's the only cause. That's the only way to deal with it. And so when we say we came to Christ, that you took the path that led to, to Jerusalem, it's not the issue. You know, there are people who are confused because the Bible says that Naomi, she took the, the path. No, taking the path is not the issue. Opa took the path too, didn't she? She did. That you are born in the church, or that you chose a religion, that you adopted a religion, that you wanted an identity. That is not the issue. You know, there are people, you ask them, are you a Christian? They say, yes. When did you become a Christian? They say, my parents give back to me in the church. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Upper's parents also, in this context, gave back to her inside the church, right? And you will not know the efforts that these Moabites have made. Here we have strangers in our midst. Do you think the day that this son of uh, Elimelech came and proposed to Opa and, and, and Ruth that their own parents were excited? So, oh, wonderful, these Israelites, just, we don't know where they came from, but just go ahead, go and marry them. Do you think that was what they said? Will you say that? No. They had already made commitments. Opa has already made sacrifices. And you are making sacrifices now, aren't you? You are making sacrifices. You are coming to the church. You are keeping this place running. You have taken the path, but I'm saying that what will lead you to the promise is more than what you are doing. What will lead you to the end that you seek is more than just facing the direction that leads there. It is the commitment such that Ruth made and says, do not entreat me to depart from you. Where you go, I will go. And you see, it's important to know how she came to this commitment. Before now, they had come with some hope, you know, in their culture, uh, if, if, the, if the son of uh, Naomi had died, probably by the time they get to Israel, there will be other relatives that could marry them. But you see, Naomi read out to them, he said, look, there is nothing. 
There's nothing. I don't have any son. And even if I get married tonight, have a son tonight, will you wait? Uh, and Ruth offered thought of it and said, well, this is true. This is true. I better secure my, my life. <laughs> Let me just go back where I have the chance of getting married. And she returned. But Ruth, when she followed, it was not because of any benefit. It was not because of any prosperity message. And there are so many of it now, if you listen. So many of it. How that if you give $5 to TBN, before the end of the year, you will get 1000 So many of it. But that was not what made Ruth to follow. How that God will solve all your problems in this world. That was not what they told Ruth. They told her that, look, there is a chance you may never get married. Are you still willing to come? There is a chance that some of these things you are looking for, you may not get it. Are you still willing to come? There is a chance that when we get there, it will be tough. Are you still willing to come? And she judged that and said, well, even if it's going to lead to my death, I will still come with you. So that's the first thing. The commitment that will lead us to the promise is a commitment unto death. That is it. Number two, you will see the path of submission. The path of submission. We live in a time where people are growing and never wanting to submit to authority. Hmm? We live in a time where young people, you know, you know, I keep wondering, do you know that the way God arranged it, God arranged that every man will learn from another man. I wonder why God didn't create plenty Adams at the time. You think he couldn't have done it? I mean, he made one, he can as well make two. Right? Why did he just make one? It was God's plan, God's desire, God's arrangement that we will learn from somebody else. And submission, especially for those of us who are young, is very, very critical. My mother used to say to me, and my mother was not educated. My mother didn't finish elementary school. My father only had elementary school. So that was the level of the education. Between my mother and my father, you don't have enough schooling to have a high school diploma. All right? If you put two of them together. <laughs> okay. But she used to tell me, she said, look, no matter how small someone is, if you ride on him, you will be taller. Right? Your height, you will, you will add certain inches to your own height if you ride on somebody, no matter how small the person is. So, if, and I don't want to take time reading, if you look at Ruth, one of the things she did was submitting to Naomi. In fact, it was very interesting. On the day she appeared, on the farm with Boaz, Boaz said to her, uh, please follow my young men and then they will leave this thing for you will glean. When she went home, she reported the story to Naomi. What did Naomi tell her? Say, it is good for you to follow the young women. If you read the book of Ruth, you will see that. She couldn't have known that if she didn't submit to Naomi. All the things that she did that eventually led to her marrying Boaz, she couldn't have known it. 
She is a Moabite. How would she have known what to do? How would she have known what to tell Boaz if Naomi had not told her that this is what to do? No matter how wise you think you are, I have realized and I've been studying for some time, you know, that a young man might have debt, but he does not have scope. Hmm? When you are young, you might have debt, but you don't have scope. Scope comes by age. Hmm? The, the, the broadness of your view, it comes by age. It doesn't come by strength. And God planned that there will be a gradient between the old and the young such that what they know will flow to us. So the path that leads to this promise is a path of submission. And I can already see, if I see a young man that is very, very, very unsubmissive, I already know that this person will not make it. I know it. And I've seen several of them. When I came to do my study, even before I left Nigeria, everybody said to me, don't go to that man. My advisor is a very tough man. I said, don't go to him. In fact, when, when I came, <laughs> some people left. Just in, just in one semester of working with him, they left. All right? But I have learned submission. And no matter how hard it is working with him, most of the things I've benefited, I have because of him. His name alone gives me access. No matter what I think I know, I don't have his name. If I do my resume now and write his name, there are a lot of people who will say, well, if this man worked with you, you must know something. Just his name gives me access. I didn't apply to do internship. People know I've come to work in the lab here. I didn't apply. I was sitting down in the office when somebody called me. How did it happen? My advisor just talked to someone. Do you think that if I had done the talking myself, they would have given me the job? Who knows me? So I have learned that when you submit, he leads you to heights that you can never reach with your own energy. And I would plead with those of us who are young especially, that rebellion does not lead to any good end. And indeed, sometimes those who are our parents, the Bible says they chastise us for their own pleasure. Is there? We can only enjoy it. <laughs> you see, we can only enjoy it. Yes, they are, they are imperfect. How do you think Jesus related with his parents? Here we have a perfect man relating with imperfect creatures, both his father and his mother. And yet for over 30 years he was in subjection to them. I can imagine Jesus in the carpentry shop with the wisdom of God looking at his father making terrible mistakes. <laughs> and his father is trying to tell him, this is what to do. And he said, no, no, so. And the father will hit him on the head. What do you mean? I've been doing this for 30 years. And what does he do? Yes, sir. Right? That was how he related with his dad. This thing that teaches us that we should be, that is your life, live it the way you want, it will lead to your destruction. Not only to our parents, but also to the authorities in the church. 
And I know that what I'm saying is not comfortable for an American, but that's why I'm saying it. That's why I'm saying it. At home, in church, you have to learn to submit to authority. That is God's design. And that is the path that leads to the promise. Can you imagine Moses leading the children of Israel and some of them acquiring enough experience not to follow Moses? Do you think they will get to the promised land? They will never get there. And it don't matter whether Moses went to marry one woman that he's not supposed to marry. You remember Moses did that, right? He went to marry one woman. And Miriam and Aaron brought him and said, look at, look at the person you went to marry. And they were saying all sorts of things. The fact that Moses made that mistake, did he stop God from inflicting Miriam with leprosy? No. He didn't stop it. That is the part that will guarantee our entrance. Now, there is also God's favor. And that is where I would like to close. If you look at the book of Ruth. That is, uh, the story continued. And uh, eventually, Naomi told Ruth what to do. And in Ruth chapter 2, we see Ruth serving she was serving, and she was working hard. I mean, our time is gone, so I can't say um, some of the things I wanted to say. But you see, the grace of God does not exempt you from hard work. If you hear the report of Ruth, the Bible says when Boaz came to the farm, and he asked, whose girl is that? The foreman in the farm said, this lady came here since morning. And she said, please, can you allow me to glean, to glean? And she has been doing that since morning. She only took a little rest. So you see a hard-working lady. And the key word there is glean. What is glean? What is glean? Glean means it's not abundant. Right? That you have to look for it. You see, even the word of God is to be gleaned. Have you realized that? That even studying the Bible, you have to glean. You have to spend a lot of time to get seed out of it. And some of you have not gleaned. I have gleaned before when I was younger. I have gleaned. We used to follow exactly the story of Ruth. After people have come to harvest their farm and we were looking for food, we used to go to the farm to glean, to glean for beans. You know, you have to fetch a huge amount of sand just to get a few seeds of beans. All right? So we've done that. That's how to glean. And that's the kind of labor that Ruth was doing. The hard work. But when, when Boaz came, he said to her, um, let, me, let me look at, I think it's chapter 2, verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence but abide here fast by my maidens. He says, go not to glean in another field. Don't leave this place. This is the place where the grace of God is. Don't leave this place. And by that I mean the place of faith, the commitment you have made. Don't go. There are other things being advertised. Other things being celebrated as if to say that is what will bring you rest in life. He said, no, don't go there. 
stay in this place. Glean here. And you know all the provisions he made for her. Bible says he told the servant, let the, the, the seed fall deliberately. I want to tell you that the path that leads to this promise is a part of the grace of God. By your strength, the Bible says, you will not prevail. It doesn't matter how much energy, you know, Ruth had or has, and I've talked about her hard work, that all of that energy will not be sufficient to have brought home what she did if Boaz had not shown her grace. So while she was following these men, they were deliberately cutting off some of the, 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 the fruits and leaving it for her. That is the grace of God. Now, if you go to another field, you won't find that. You won't find that. You will spend your years laboring. But you won't find this grace. So the path that will lead us to this promise is the path of God's grace. So what did Boaz say to her? He said, stay here. Stay here. The way it's looking now, that's not the way it will look forever. It will change. Stay here. There are people who came to Christ, you know, and because of something, they got offended, right? They got offended, and they left to somewhere else. That place they left to, what did they become? What did it profit them? Don't get offended. Stay here. There are many things that can offend you in this farm. I mean, you are dealing with people, right? All these, my four men, the women, the other. Somebody might shout on you as you try to glean. Somebody might seize whatever it is you have done, but stay here. That's what Boaz was telling her. Stay here. Don't leave this place. Where we read in Hebrews, the Bible was saying the same thing, that we should hold fast to the confidence, isn't it? It's the same advice. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Don't be offended. Don't let anybody offend you. You know, I had a mentor who used to say to me in Nigeria, he said, when you stop to quarrel with someone, then it means you are not going anywhere, right? You can't be going somewhere and be quarreling. You have to stop to actually quarrel or fight and face the person. In other words, turn away from the direction you were going. So stay here. And the grace of God will abound for you. And take you to this destination. I learned that the word to comfort is to, is to stir up. Although it has been interpreted to mean to pet. But actually the real meaning of the word comfort is not to pet. It's to stir up. And that is what I think by the grace of God we are endeavoring to do this morning. It's not to make anybody offended. But it's to stir you up. That there is a promise that has been left for us. Which we must always keep in view. And work to enter. We have not entered yet. The story was told of a missionary. An American. Who, who, came, who returned from the mission. And uh, as he came, from the, came out of the ship. 
they used to transport by a sea those days and um, there were so many people at the harbor welcoming others and celebrating with them you know and there was nobody who came to welcome this missionary and he, he felt he felt discouraged and he said god not even a single soul to welcome me home and the story said god told him you are not yet home you just returned to america this is not home we are not yet home okay this place is not home and if you read this story whereas i've told you the story of one person ruth you realize that actually there were two people who made that journey there was also naomi but i didn't talk about naomi because naomi made her journey from a different side Naomi's journey was the journey of someone who had backslidden. It was the journey of somebody who fell out. Right? If you read in chapter 1, the Bible says these people were properly located. They were, they were, they were from a tribe. They were from Bethlehem, Judah. Well located in the grace of God. But because of some pressure, you know, they left to a country where God has said, don't ever go there. And Naomi had several opportunities to come back. When her husband died, what she should have done? So, well, the one that brought us here is dead. Let's go back, right? That's what she should have done. She continued. Her children died. She still remained there. Until this time that she's making the journey. But no matter how late, how long it took her, she returned. And this morning also, it doesn't matter whether you've been offended, whether you strayed, whether you went away. You can also come back because the Bible says, and that word is, is constant, is permanently there. It said, there yet remain a promise, even for you, even for Naomi. Although she came back and she was saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, God has testified against me. But you see that even for her, there was still the promise. There was still the promise. Not just for Ruth, who is coming fresh from a different background, but also for Naomi, who had had this location, but she left it. She dislocated herself. But even her could make the return journey. And so this applies to every one of us. Even us, we can make this journey back. And this is our path into the promise. It's important to note this because there's somebody who is committed to make sure that you never enter the promise. There's someone who has that commitment and say, I will never allow you to enter the promise. And if you also don't have an equal commitment, then he will take you off. And I don't know what pressure they faced. The Bible says, indeed, there was a famine. When they left, there was a famine. There was. And I don't know what that famine means in your own life. I don't know what it translates to. I don't know what it means in your school. Whether it means you are ridiculed because you are different. Whether it means that, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible. It's so terrible for those who are young. I'm afraid every day for my girls. Every day. 
the first thing I do when I pick Ruth from school is that, what happened in school today? I want to hear everything. And I want to hear it while it is hot. I want to know exactly. We don't, want to, we don't need to get home. We discuss it on the way home. Because I want to be sure that they are not putting ideas. I'm always monitoring what is happening. The other day they were going to read a book, Families of the World. I said, no, you are not going to do Families of the World until I've read it first. Because today it is believed that family constitutor of spouses who can be man and man. So I want to be sure that they are not teaching them that as part of the families of the world, there is man and man. Right? And if I knew they were going to teach that, she doesn't go to school on that day. But the point I'm making is that there is famine. There is pressure. I know. There are pressures. In work, there is financial pressure. There is pressure to attain to what others have attained to. There's even the pressure of ministry. And I can imagine those who are leading the work here now, those who are in leadership, I can imagine that there's pressure. You probably would rather be doing other things. You probably want to be relieved a little bit. I can imagine that there's pressure. All right. But the Bible says, don't go elsewhere. Stay here. Stay here. Isaac stayed during the famine. Do you remember the story of Isaac? He stayed. And the Bible says he dug wells and he planted. And God blessed him hundredfold. Abraham responded to the pressure and went to Egypt. And that was where Haggai followed him and became a thorn in his flesh. Isn't it? Until today we are dealing with the fruit of Haggai. But Isaac stayed. And I'm praying for you and for myself that we will stay. That we will stay. I'm praying that a time will come where authority, submission will be clearly understood. And those of us who are elders will not be shy to take authority. I realize that the problem is twofold. It's not just that the young are not submitting is that the elders are not taking charge. And I know why you are not taking charge. Because we are, I mean, you don't want to intervene in somebody's life, isn't it? I understand that. Where I come from, (laughs) if somebody is older than you, he assumes a right over you, it's automatic. He doesn't need your permission. If he sees you doing something that he thinks is wrong, I mean, he's giving it to you. He doesn't care. (laughs) And he doesn't apologize for it. He does not. You can be beaten by somebody who is not your mom. And when they tell your mom, your mom will beat you on top of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, your mom's friend, sees you doing something somewhere. She takes a cane and gives you some, is this sweet you cut? You call it. You come home and tell it to your mom. Your mom asks to eat and goes to thank that woman for doing it. (laughs) Yeah, she said, thank you so much. When we go to school and teachers discipline us, our parents don't come to complain. Although I know that there are people who can abuse it, but by default, our parents don't come to complain. 
they assume that somebody older than you has an authority over you. And I am praying that we, these things will come back to us. I don't see how we will succeed if we don't benefit from the wisdom of the elders. I don't see how we will succeed. And we cannot derive, we can't get from that wisdom if we don't come under them. The Bible says, no servant is greater than his master. But if a servant does well, he shall be as his master. That's what Jesus said. That is the path that leads us to the promise. May God help us. Let us pray. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you. We pray that this will encourage us. Probably some of us might not be used to rebuke and all of that. But we ask, Lord, that we see that the Bible says the person that you love, you chastise and you rebuke. Lord, there is a promise that is yet waiting for us, which we must enter into. There is an enemy that has sworn that we will not enter into it. We ask that, Lord, you will give us the commitment, such as Ruth, that we choose death over relief in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, please be with your people. Continue to, uh, to, to, to lay your hands, to put your hands upon this assembly to help all of those in leadership. And Lord, we pray that your, your counsel will prevail, your counsel will stand. Thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.